Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening to the BreastCancer.org podcast. Our guest today is Karina Jagger, Executive Director of Breast Cancer Action, an organization that focuses on systemic interventions that address the root causes of breast cancer to produce public health benefits, including its Think Before You Paint campaign. Jagger has been Executive Director of Breast Cancer Action since 2011 and has a lifelong commitment to social justice. Throughout her 15-year career in nonprofit leadership, her work is focused on women's rights and on eliminating socioeconomic inequalities. Jagger began her career working with women's microenterprises internationally and in the United States, providing self-employment and business training, funding, and support for low-income women. Prior to joining Breast Cancer Action, Jagger was Executive Director at the Women's Initiative for Self-Employment. She has served on the board of the California Association of Microenterprise Opportunity, where she chaired the policy committee. She holds a master's degree in economic geography from the University of California, Berkeley, with a special emphasis on women, gender, and sexuality, and received her bachelor's degree in philosophy from Smith College. With Breast Cancer Awareness Month upon us, Karuna joins us to talk about the Think Before You Paint campaign, including its history and goal. Karuna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to be here with you. So in case anyone is not familiar with Think Before You Paint, can you tell us how the campaign started and when it started? Think Before You Paint is a project, Breast Cancer Action. Breast Cancer Action was founded in 1990, which is right about the same time that the first companies were putting pink ribbons on products for breast cancer awareness. And I'm happy to tell you that story in a moment. But what was happening is during those first 10 years or so of Breast Cancer Action history, more and more pink ribbon products were flooding the market. And our members had questions about that. They wanted to know where was all that money going. Um, and so the Think Before You Think really emerged from what was called a follow the money project, which was really looking at um, the transparency and accountability behind a lot of this pink ribbon fundraising. And uh, basically, folks were not satisfied. You know, a lot of companies were making a lot of money in the name of awareness. Often pennies on the dollar at best would be donated to any breast cancer program. Uh, and, and folks felt there was just too little to show. And so uh, by 2002, we had launched the Think Before You Paint campaign. And the idea is, is Think Before You Paint help calls for accountability and transparency. It helps the public think about how they can evaluate some of these pink ribbon promotions. Um, so we provide some critical questions that folks can ask about uh, any particular pink ribbon promotion. And over the years, we've targeted a number of multi-million, billion-dollar companies, um, really urging them to go beyond, you know, simple marketing, which is what many of these pink ribbon promotions end up being, and really taking the steps to um, demonstrate their commitment to helping end the breast cancer epidemic. Excellent. Now, did Breast Cancer Action coin the term pinkwashing, or was that already in use when you started this campaign? Yes, we did coin that phrase. Um, you know, since we 
you know, so, so for us, pinkwashing is really a um, spin on that phrase greenwashing, right? The idea behind greenwashing is that you have companies that tell you how much they care about the environment but are not actually uh, taking steps to ensure that their practices are green. So similarly, you've got all these companies that are telling us how much they care about breast cancer and women's health, and yet all too often the products that they're pushing may contain chemicals that might increase the risk of the disease. So we call that pinkwashing. Pinkwashing is not simply pink ribbon promotions, of which there are many. It's specifically the hypocrisy of companies telling us how much they care about breast cancer while at the same time their product or service may increase risk of the disease. Now, you sort of touched on this in your first answer, but if you wouldn't mind telling us specifically, what are the goals of the campaign? Is it transparency to get these companies to, to show where the money is going, or, and is it, does it also involve getting companies to perhaps be a little bit more responsible, if you will, in promoting products tied to breast cancer? Our work is to address it and breast cancer epidemic. And uh, to do that, we find that we're, you know, really challenging this cancer industry, which is when companies that are contributing to risk of the disease are working hand-in-hand -hand with nonprofits um, that are, you know, supposedly working on behalf of patients, but all too often are really just providing cover for companies um, and, and letting them get away with some of these hypocritical business practices. So, you know, everybody cares about breast cancer, and they should. We have a public health crisis on our hands. The incidence of breast cancer increased uh, over the decades. You know, it was maybe one in 20 women 50 or 60 years ago. Today, it's one in eight women over the course of her life will get breast cancer. Um, that's a marked increase in incidence, and you cannot explain that just from you know, the BRCA mutation. Everybody is thinking about, you know, these hereditary risk factors, but combined family history accounts for just maybe 10% of all breast cancers. So the majority of breast cancers are not linked to any known risk factor. And part of these, they're, they're being driven in part by these systemic exposures to synthetic chemicals that are disrupting our hormone systems and are other ways carcinogenic. Um, and these aren't things that individual people can just shop their way out of. So given that's our sort of analysis of the cancer industry and the, and the kind of the cancer economy and the ways that, you know, we keep pushing the burden onto individual women to prevent their own breast cancer, um, you know, kind of shaming and blaming women in ways that are completely um, unfair, we are always looking at, at these systemic root causes. So when you have a company that's telling you how much they care about breast cancer, we think, great, we need you to clean up your business practice and actually demonstrate that you are willing to do the work to help turn the tide on this epidemic. So I think about last year's Think Before You Paint campaign, which was called Put the Brakes on Breast Cancer, and it was targeting Ford Motor Company. Ford Motors runs the Warriors in Paint program. Again, telling us, you know, how important, how committed they are to women affected by breast cancer. Well, this last year, Ford decided to stop selling passenger cars in the U.S. and instead double down 
you know, go full throttle, so to speak, on their trucks and SUVs, which is their highest emitting vehicle. We know that auto exhaust drives up the risk of breast cancer. And this is bigger than individual lifestyle choice. You know, an individual person may ride public transportation or, you know, bicycle everywhere. Um, but we're all breathing that auto exhaust that is increasing the risk of breast and other cancers. And so when you have a company like Ford telling us, you know, building their brand by telling us how much they care about breast cancer, and at the same time, their business practices are going in exactly the wrong direction. You know, in 2018, they announced that they would be launching a new diesel F-150, which is the F-150 is the country's most popular vehicle. Um, and introducing a, a diesel model is taking us in exactly the wrong direction. So we called on Ford to go to an all-electric fleet. That is what would actually help turn the tide on the breast cancer epidemic. So going back to the goals of the campaign, for us it is about uh, urging companies to take the step to make sure that they're not driving up the risk of breast cancer and calling for accountability and transparency. Does anybody, so the companies aren't just exploiting people's good intentions. Um, it, we're not saying that you know pink ribbons are inherently wrong and that no companies can ever do the right thing. What we're saying is show us. Show us that this is not just a publicity stunt. Show us that this is more than marketing. Show us by actually taking the steps to ensure that your business practices, um, you know, are, are, are not driving up risk of the disease. What would you say some of the achievements or results are? Have companies responded to this and how have they responded? There's a number of companies that have changed their business practices in response to the Think Before You Pink campaign. One of the best examples is YoPlay, which has been making yogurt and putting these pink lids on that folks can mail back to the company in order to generate a donation. Unfortunately, YoPlay uh, in the early 2000s was using dairy that was produced with this synthetic growth hormone called RBGH, and there was concern about the link between RBGH and breast cancer risk. So in response to our campaign, which we called Put a Lid on It, um, YoPlay and, and then later Dannon decided to go RBGH free in their uh, yogurt, which was a really wonderful win. It meant that two-thirds of yogurt produced in the U.S. Um, was RBGH free. So that's a great example. Another example is Kentucky Fried Chicken was producing buckets for a cure. Um, I know that that sounds uh, shocking, but, you know, in 2010 or 11, that was actually, you know, they thought it was a good idea. So we launched the What the Cluck campaign, um, calling out the hypocrisy behind encouraging people, particularly low-income communities, communities of color, to eat, you know, this fried chicken in the name of breast cancer and, and you know, just the hypocrisy of those health harms um, associated with that food. So uh, we're really pleased that KFC stopped that campaign early. Um, they ended up right something like six weeks. Uh, and I think that's another example of, of a win. Um, you know, Cutman was producing a perfume that they called Promise Me that contained hormone disruptors and other chemicals of concern. So here we have the world's largest breast cancer charity that's commissioned a perfume. So they've actually asked the manufacturer to make them uh, a perfume just for Coleman. And, 
you know, independent laboratory testing found these chemicals of concern, including hormone disruptors. Breast cancer is a hormone-driven disease. Uh, we know that hormone disruptors can impact the efficacy of treatment. Uh, so we were outraged. We, you know, I reached out immediately to their CEO, let them know the results of that independent laboratory testing. Um, we called on them to recall that perfume, and they did, you know, while they didn't recall it, they did end that production uh, rather than carrying it on as planned. So those are some of the kind of real-world impacts where we feel we've been able to help companies um, stop putting some of these products out into the marketplace that, you know, have, have again, chemicals of concern. Um, other ways that I would measure the campaign success really does have to do with changing how people think about breast cancer marketing. Um, you know, just in 2011 when I came to the organization, people were still calling and asking, isn't any money for breast cancer good? Suggesting that the ends justify the means. And we don't get those questions anymore. I think the public is much more discerning about not just breast cancer marketing, but other you know, kind of charitable marketing and saying, hey, this needs to be more than a publicity stunt. Um, you know, how is the company really demonstrating their commitment to the issue? So I'd say pinkwashing is now largely a household name. I mean, most people really do understand what pinkwashing is, and, uh, you know, we can help them think about how they can go beyond pinkwashing and ask some specific questions to make sure that they're uh, purchase is having the intended impact. You know, as I said, people care about breast cancer. Um, and so we're not suggesting that they, there's no companies doing anything good. We're really wanting to make sure that companies are being transparent about how they're doing good. And is that typically the way uh, Think Before You Pink works? You launch sort of a, an initiative each year focusing on maybe what you see is the most egregious marketing campaign of that year, or is it something that's ongoing all the time? A little bit of both. Although October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, and there are a number of special breast cancer promotions in October, more and more companies are doing breast cancer marketing or pink ribbon marketing year-round. So things like our critical questions for conscious consumers are always available. Uh, we do launch an annual campaign in October that coincides with Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which we call Breast Cancer Industry Month, in you know, uh, recognition of, of just the profiteering off of disease. But, you know, something like the Buckets for the Cure was actually launched in the spring. And so we, you know, our What the Cluck campaign was not just during October. It was actually in the spring when, when KFC first introduced those ribbons. Um, buckets of fried chicken. Now, I'm curious as to what the reaction has been to the campaign, both from people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer as well as corporations. And I would invite anyone who is listening, if you have comments, you can email us at podcast at breastcancer.org and tell us what you think about pinkwashing and or marketing of specific breast cancer products during October. But, uh, but back to you, Karuna, what has the reaction been to the campaign? 
Well, like all things, it's mixed. Different people do have different reactions. And I think the trend in terms of the response has changed over time. So when we first began following the money and first launched Think Before You Pink, more people tended to say, isn't any money for breast cancer good? Isn't this ultimately a good thing? Um, We just don't get those questions anymore. More and more people see that too many of these pink ribbons promotions are really just publicity stunts or marketing campaigns that benefit the company more than they benefit any breast cancer organization. All too often, you see companies spending much more to promote their donation than they're actually donating. And I have a number of examples of that. Um, You know, one of them were these pink fracking drill bits from a few years ago. So Baker Hughes is the world's second largest oil servicing company you know, multi-billion dollar company, international company, and they were making a donation of $100,000 to the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Uh, meanwhile, they're meeting 100 drill bits. These are, you know, kind of drill bits that are going to go into the ground, Komen's trademark paint, and they uh, were shipping those around the world in containers that included mammography screening brochures. The theory was if they put these brochures into the container with the drill bit, then the roughnecks, and that's their word for it, the roughnecks on the field will take these brochures back to back home to the women in their lives. Well, you know, they produced promotional videos and all kinds of, of promotional materials about these donations that far exceeded the $100,000 donation they were making to Komen. Um, and we see that over and over again. You know, I think the public has really begun to look past the pink ribbon to see what's really happening. And I'll also say that an individual person's relationship to the pink ribbon often changes over time. So it's not uncommon that when someone is first diagnosed, you know, they're sort of thrown into the deep end of the breast cancer world and the breast cancer community. And at the very beginning, they might actually feel some sense of kind of solidarity seeing another pink ribbon out there. But many times, the more time someone spends uh, as part of the breast cancer community, the more questions they have about companies, you know, again, profiting off the disease, about the messages that companies are giving, which are all too often not at all evidence-based, you know, despite the popularity of the phrase early detection saves lives, uh, the fact of the matter is women are more likely to be overdiagnosed and overtreated than to have their lives saved as the result of a mammogram. And mammograms, essentially the mortality rates have remained relatively unchanged. You know, we're just not seeing the promised benefit for all those mammograms. Still more than 40,000 women die each and every year from breast cancer, and it's a number that is hardly changed from 1990 when breast cancer action was founded. So, you know, more people, more women, as they learn the facts of breast cancer, see that companies are putting out often really misleading information about the disease, you know, including information about the five-year cure rate, um, when we know that for hormone-positive breast cancer, half of all recurrences are going to happen after that five-year mark. Um, We know that, you know, as many as 20, possibly even 30% of all breast cancers, even those detected early, 
will go on to metastasize. And so it's, it's those women who are um, feeling misled and betrayed by some of this kind of cheerful pink ribbon marketing that, you know, the relationship with the pink ribbon changes and they begin to feel let down by, by companies that are just selling essentially um, cheerful stories and easy answers that aren't working. You know, in order to sell these pink ribbon products, the companies have to tell us that the pink ribbon products are going to make a difference and that, and that can be very misleading. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you about the sort of change in perspective on the pink ribbon. Uh, two of my friends have metastatic breast cancer, and I've talked with them about it, and I've watched them kind of go through that. And Breast Cancer Awareness Month is very uh, tricky for them because they feel that there is a lot of awareness and what what one said to me flat out was, well, lots of people are aware of breast cancer. What we really need is the cure. So I, I agree that that relationship can change because, as you said, when you are first diagnosed, it can be comforting to kind of use that to seek out other people and get support, and that is helpful. But um, I think people who have been diagnosed with metastatic disease, sometimes it gets to be a much more complicated relationship. I would just add to that that, you know, so many women feel that the kind of pink ribbon gets tied to this, you know, journey of cheerfulness. I mean, the history of the pink ribbon is really interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a history of, of co-optation of a grassroots tool. Um, so when the pink ribbon, you know, kind of emerged from this peach-colored ribbon, similar but slightly different, um, Charlotte Haley was a woman living in Southern California who was alarmed by the number of women in her family and community who were diagnosed with and dying from breast cancer. And so, um, you know, at a time when we had yellow ribbons for the troops and red ribbons for HIV AIDS, she launched this peach colored ribbon calling for more research funding into prevention. And uh, Self Magazine and Estee Lauder, she got some media attention. Charlotte Haley got media attention. And Self Magazine and Estee Lauder reached out to her thinking they could partner with her. She was interested. She said that it was too corporate for her. And so Estee Lauder and Health Magazine lawyers suggested that all they needed to do was change the color. And so they did focus groups and found that pink was feminine and cheerful and soothing and soft and, you know, basically everything that breast cancer is not. And when the peach ribbon was turned pink, that focus on prevention was changed to these, you know, really the corporate profit and and kind of these, you know, sometimes donations to breast cancer organizations, um, but but sometimes not. And but and that story, that association with kind of, you know, stay strong, fight hard, you know, be positive, smile more. I think Estee Lauder's campaign just a year or two ago, you know, said things like smile more and it's so condescending and it's sort of a double, um, it's a double blame and shame women. Not only did they not live, you know, make all the right choices that they got breast cancer is sort of the implication, but then they don't have the right attitude to their breast cancer. And I think that is really harmful. Um, and it's important that we acknowledge the full breadth of experiences with breast cancer 
and that there's space for a full range of emotions, including anger and, of course, grief and, and sadness. Now, on the website, to sort of wrap up, uh, Breast Cancer Action has four questions on the Think Before You Pink page. At the, four questions that people should consider, or you ask them to consider, before they buy anything with a pink ribbon on it. So I thought it might be helpful if you could kind of go over those for us, just so if people are interested, they can have those in their mind. So we have um, four questions to ask before you walk for breast cancer and four questions for conscious consumers. So if you see a pink ribbon on a product, there's, you know, quick things you can do. And let me say that, you know, I have been that person, you know, before I came to breast cancer action, if you're looking, you know, at two olive oils and one has a pink ribbon on it, your first impulse might be, well, I might as well buy the pink ribbon one. And you assume that some money is going to get donated to a breast cancer organization. Well, that's the first question. Is it? Often, companies will put pink ribbons on something, and that's the extent of their, you know, supposed support. There's not a, necessarily a financial contribution. Um, so the first question is, how much money of, from this purchase is going to go to a breast cancer organization? And the next question is, what organization and what programs will your money fund? Uh, and that really speaks to... Um, the fact that so many breast cancer organizations are doing more awareness work. And here we are in 2019. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who isn't aware of breast cancer. Um, often those awareness campaigns include a lot of misinformation and misleading information. And so what's the work that you think is most important? Are those the programs that you're purchasing this funding? Third question is, is there a cap on the donation? Is there a maximum donation? And has it already been met? One of the problems with some of the transparency around this, these donations is that, you know, sometimes a company like Reebok will be selling, um, you know, athletic wear, and they'll say that, you know, a portion of this purchase will go to whatever organization up to a maximum. How do you know if that maximum has been met? Because if it's already been met, then your purchase is going to go straight back into the company's bank account. And the fourth question is, does the product put you or someone you love at an increased risk of breast And this really gets back to that pink washing question, the question about um, those chemicals in the product that may increase the risk of the disease. And if, you have, if you're not able to answer each of these questions to your satisfaction, you don't have to despair because you can still go ahead and make a donation directly to the breast cancer organization of your choice that you feel is doing the work that's most important. That makes good sense. And I realize that it could be difficult to figure out some of those if someone's standing in the store, as you said, with two bottles of olive oil in their hand. But maybe you decide on your purchase and then you go home and you do some research. Yep, and I think, you know, it's reasonable to ask companies that are asking us to buy their products to make that information available. It shouldn't be that hard. That's part of what Think Before You Pink does. How much of this money is going to go to any breast cancer organization, any breast cancer program? What is that work? Um, you know, how do I know that my purchase is going to result in a donation? And is this product safe? I mean, th those should all be 
folks shouldn't have to work too hard to get those answers. And if they do, um, I think that's important feedback for the companies. That's part of what our Think Before You Eat campaign does is it really asks companies how they can partner with the breast cancer community um, to help people understand where they can make a real sense. Karuna, thank you so much. This has been very interesting and informative. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.